Welcome to the Out of the Woods Podcast. The top five headlines threat hunters need to be thinking of this week. Hey everyone, welcome to our weekly edition of the Out of the Woods Threat Hunting Podcast. This is Scott Poley here with Lee Arkinall. Hey everyone, thanks for joining. And this weekly segment features the top five stories that threat hunters need to be thinking about, as well as our thoughts on the subject and hunting strategies. So with that, let's dive into the top five threat hunting headlines for the week of November 11th, 2023. So... Lee, I was going to start off with a smaller one because I we have some big ones to cover uh, this time. But this one was just notable. It was from Security Affairs. Basically, North Korea-linked APT group Sapphire Sleet, which is the Microsoft name, set up to bogus skill assessment portals and attacks aimed at IT job seekers. So this is just interesting because... You know, we've heard of phishing things. We've heard of trying to get people to go, but the whole um, skill assessments, like that's uh, something I'm not used to seeing in general. It looked like they were hitting a lot of recruiters as well um, with some of this. Uh, so I don't know if it's, uh, you know, obviously the IT market's very competitive and you can validate your skills and might give you an edge type of thing. I'm guessing that's the angle they're, they're uh, targeting as well as IT being the people that kind of have the access that they're probably looking for for some things. But, you know, they primarily focus on making money. So a lot of their uh, campaigns really targeted cryptocurrency exchanges, venture capital firms, banks, things like that. Um, so it's kind of an interesting uh, attack vector. And they said that once they were, you know, being successful with this, they would kind of pivot over to more of a messaging or email type of platform or attack. To like further on um, their attack. Maybe like you take an assessment and they think that you might be a good target and they can maybe set up a good phishing email following that uh, to leverage even more information based on how you've done the assessment. What access, maybe it like identifies you as a better target too. So it was interesting, but they did um, talk uh, further, which I also thought was interesting, uh, mentioning their uh, Mac OS malware strain that's been going around it's called, you know, shortened, but objective C shells or object C cells, I guess it would be short, short for, but either way, it's them targeting the Mac OS, which is always interesting uh, when you think about uh, motivation for targeting different operating systems. And since they're monetarily driven for a lot of their activities, I don't know, maybe going after Mac OS, you're either going after people that might you know, have cryptocurrency wallets that you can pilfer for, or, you know, people that maybe have, you know, Mac OS associated with more money. I'm not sure. But, you know, there was a, a brief article, interesting technique for kind of a way campaigns or where people can lose credentials potentially and other things. So, you know, as a defender, it's kind of good to be aware of what are some of the social techniques. So that was why I brought this one to light because it was interesting uh, to say the least. So what were your thoughts? It's it's really unfortunate um, that this continues to happen because this is definitely not um, the first time we've seen this. Um, we've definitely seen other or North Korea target and make up job uh, job positions and applications to try and lure people in who may have access to something that they want. The the unfortunate thing about it isn't just the phishing email or the 
you know, the fact that it is a phony job, but there are so many people that are either trying to take a step up in their career or trying to get into cybersecurity in general. So by seeing this, they may say, oh, wow, this is my opportunity. This is like, this is it. I've, you know, I finally made it. It seems legitimate. And with the mention of that, um, the Mac OS op- or Mac OS malware that you mentioned, it, it kind of shows that they are profiling cybersecurity people better. Not that we all use Macs, uh, you know, and we run around with it, but Macs do have that, not appeal, but they have their place in cybersecurity analysts and whatnot. So a lot of people are shifting towards that. I never thought of the power user perspective. That's a good note. I, I didn't I didn't even think about that either. But it's just better profiling and better uh, opportunities. And I, I think the best recommendation I could have is that, you know, hey, if it seems too good to be true, follow your gut. Um, almost like, you know, cybersecurity awareness training. If it or it seems too perfect, you might want to just ignore it. And especially if you do start making contact and they say, Oh, you know, Instead of LinkedIn, let's talk on Telegram. Mm-hmm. You know, that should be a red flag, right? right? There's no reason that you should be legitimately talking to someone about a job over a uh, an encrypted service like that. That's just my two cents. But they're getting better at this. This is a technique they're going to continue to use simply because it keeps working. Until we can, um, until we can get rid of that or cut off that uh, success, then I think we're just going to continue to see it. Yeah, agreed. So... What do you got for us? So uh, this is a article from the Unit 42 uh, Palo Alto team, and it's titled Agonizing Serpents, a.k.a. Agrius Targeting the Israeli Higher Education and Tech Sectors. The attack was categorized as an attempt to steal sensitive data and then um, render the endpoints unusable through the use of multiple wipers. Now, they did say that there were uh, three wipers that they saw, uh, but they also documented a lot of um, techniques and behaviors beforehand. So it wasn't just, here's the malware, here's what we saw. It was like, well, this is how they got in there. They talked about reconnaissance, they talked about credential stealing, lateral movement, and so on. But then they highlighted the the wipers, which I, I really enjoyed, because I was looking at the different functionalities, and it seems like they would use them um, not all at once, and maybe not even all at on each endpoint that they land on. It seems like they created three different wipers depending on what type of endpoint they land on. Um, so, like the multi-layer wiper contains two uh, two components. One is the multi-list, which its its functionality is to enumerate the device, find the files, find the directories, but it also contains an exclusion list. So, do not touch these, but give us all the information. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it actually runs in a specific order where. Once it enumerates the device, if there are network uh, drives that are connected, it will delete those files first, and then it will um, corrupt and overwrite with random data the local files. Uh, so I found that interesting. Uh, it, it seemed like it was prioritizing the network drives, which in my mind, if multiple people are trying to reach that same drive, then that would be the quickest way to actually uh, you know, like destroy really useful files. If it's like a intellectual property that a team is working on or it's a spreadsheet that uh, you know more than one person has access to then it might be a, a of higher you know importance not a lot of proprietary information should be 
saved locally. Now, a copy could be saved locally, but the actual working document, in my mind, uh, should be saved you know, in cloud storage or somewhere. Um, then it uses uh, time stomping, of course, to make life harder on the digital forensics team. So it actually sets its date back so that it kind of blends in with older files versus looking at a brand new file that was dropped on. And then before it deletes itself, it deletes all the shadow copies to make recovery harder. Uh, and that's just one of the wipers. The partial wiper um, was actually pretty interesting as they were showing and uh, demonstrating through the screenshots that they quickly picked up that this was not a native English speaker who designed it because there was some there were some typos in mm -hmm. the interface. Not that it matters <laughs> because if they're destroying your system, uh, yeah. and you know, I'm not really worried about that. But it has multiple capabilities uh, and multiple commands. Uh, so it's you know it scans and retrieves information about the drives. And you could say I want all drive information, only drive information, or only partition details. So it's like uh, you know pick how much information you want, and then it can write about uh, 420 megabytes of binary data to a provided device number. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong. Actually, I'm not gonna say. All right, what's the size of the MBR? Master boot record. It's usually 512 yeah. megabytes. All right, so I was close. So it, do it doesn't quite target and cover the whole master boot record, but their idea is that it's hopefully to make the drive unusable. Uh, then you can wipe files in a speci uh, specified folder and subfolder. So if you want, uh, it sounds like less of a just umbrella to wipe stuff and have an exclusion list. This could be, all right, you know, you have control, pick where you want, and then you know, you can change file attributes and wipe files. So once again, you could do time stomping, um, or you could uh, change other attributes to the file and then uh, destroy other files. Um, and finally, the BFG, uh, Agonizer Wiper. This one targets the boot sector. And if the partition uh, style is uh, the mass, or it looks like a master boot record, or the GPT or the uh, GUID partition table, then it affects the first six sectors, which then triggers the blue screen of death, it crashes the system, and then you can't reboot it. Um, so like I said, it, it doesn't appear that they used all the wipers on one machine, because that seems like overkill, but if they decided that there was a special use case or a special device that they wanted to really focus on, because like partial wash or the partial washer, that appears like this is sensitive focused wiping non just destroy where the multi-list and multi-wipe that could be um or sorry the multi-layer wiper that one destroys stuff and then the bfg agonizer is just uh it's not even looking for files it's just going to destroy your master boot record uh, but they also use the technique of bring your own vulnerable driver and one of the drivers that they used was the uh, gmer driver which i found interesting um, simply because they mentioned that it was used to actually, uh, or GMER 64.sys was originally intended to detect and remove rootkits. But then they said, however, threat actors can also leverage it to remove security products, uh, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Not hilarious. I shouldn't say that because that's the wrong word. I found it very ironic that once again, a a well-intentioned tool is being leveraged for maliciousness. Now, I know we've had this discussion over red team tools like Cobalt Strike, Metasploit, you name it, where it says, you know, maybe these tools, uh, like as soon as you create them, even if you say education, it's going to be, you're pretty much giving the a adversary something amazing, right? But to see this, this was new to me. So I found it very interesting and uh, ironic. But yeah, a very good report. 
uh, technical details and screenshots galore. And I would definitely uh, take a look at that, especially if you are really interested in wipers and seeing how they they act. What was your takeaway? So, uh, you know, as I was kind of reading yours, I already read through a lot of mine and there were some similarities in techniques. And I kind of, you know, that's what stood out to me a lot just because, you know, some of the reports we're going to talk about later, there there's that commonality. And obviously this actor group is different from other actor groups that, that we'll be talking about. But one uh, is, you know, the use of web shells. That's becoming more and more prevalent. And I can kind of see that uh, being a consistent trend because the one thing that's changing in a lot of environments, especially when you look at like resources going to the cloud and, you know, a lot of SaaS applications is there's a lot more web apps that exist than there have in the past. So there's kind of an attack service that's growing and if people don't um, manage those correctly, then it's easier to find vulnerabilities. You know, it's like a space is growing really fast, and so you need more developers, and they're not all going to be trained properly. So kind of off that that spiel, um, what's really good to know when looking at uh, web shells, we usually look at, like, you know, connection time, right? If it's a standing connection, that's not normal for a web server to sit there and have a 300 second connection. It's usually a few seconds just to move things and then terminate. So the standing connections are obvious and you know you can't really tell based on um, data being sent. But from the endpoints, you can commonly tell when you know what web application you know you're working with or you know what your web server runs on. You know, in this case, it's w3wp.exe is the web application or web server. Well. In all their activity, you see this in the screenshots they, they share, that's what's running CMD EXE. So that parent-child process is really important, I think, when it comes to web shell activity because you usually are executing something from there and getting information back. And that's where they're running a lot of their discovery commands, um, making some system changes even. Um, and it's all from that type of behavior. So that stood out like right away. And that also is similar to some other reports we'll cover um, today as well. And then the other thing that just cracks me up is just the use of the single character executable or scripts and things. Um, I've talked about it in the past. It's just, it's ironic to me how lazy some actors get uh, because they're moving payloads so fast. Um, so in this instance, they use the win egg drop um, scanner and they renamed it to s.exe, right? So there's not many legitimate executables that are a single character or number or same thing with, I mean, people might make scripts and they name it that way, but that's also not as common. It's worth being aware of those things. So if you can detect those things or hunt for those things or, you know, whatever, you should be looking for anything that's in an executable type file and look for single character names. It's just, it's a great data set to just be aware of. Um, and it would have, you would have seen that activity here as well. And then the last uh, nugget, and it's kind of based on what you said too, which I thought was a great point was why would they worry so much about time stomping when they're going to be wiping systems anyways? And obviously they don't know when they're going to wipe, you know, they have other activities they were doing. So maybe they want to blend in, make sure they weren't kicked out, you know, before they got to that point. But it also speaks that they're probably following an SOP. So you're dealing with a group where they have these specific actions they do when they land kind of like their playbook. And one of them is just a time stomp. They know it's a good technique to stay hidden, so they do it. But, you know, if I was coming up with an attack plan and I knew exactly what I was going to do in an environment and had enough information, 
that's a step I probably would skip in this type of instance. If I was like, well, I'm going to wipe the computer, like time stopping doesn't even matter at that point. So when you see those additional activities, you're kind of getting a visibility into some of the actions that are just part of the playbook and not necessarily part of the attack per se. Uh, it's just, you know, I sometimes I like to think like, well, why would someone do certain actions to try to get in that adversary's head to understand their motivations? Because there is a reason, right? Either habit or it's an SOP or whatever, but those I think help fingerprint things uh, when I look at other attacks. So those are the things that really stood out to me the most. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And it, uh, it is funny uh, that you mentioned that, right? Like we're just, I got to check the box. Why are we timestamping? I don't know. We're just doing it. Um, right. But like you also mentioned the the web shells. I think last week we talked about it as well, just or two weeks ago, or whenever the last podcast was, because I don't even remember where it was. If you use, if you exploit a vulnerable internet-facing server, you don't have to create a phishing document and hope someone clicks on it. You can just gain that access. But yeah, good insight. But once again, the single character, I saw that and I thought of you, the single character executables, because that's something you discuss multiple times. But the fact that you, not you keep bringing it up, but the fact that it keeps coming up, and you're like, look, this is, we need to focus on this. This is a simple, easy win. It, it still rings true, right? Yeah. And, you know, to get a little backstory there, too. I remember when that idea just came to me. And it was when we were dealing with tons and tons of IOCs in like 2015. And we're, you know, we were at that time working with ArcSight and trying to figure out how to shove all these IOCs into an an active list and match off of it. It was like really hard and there wasn't much context. And I'm looking at all these reports trying to figure out there's got to be a better way. And after looking about five or six reports, I just, I saw it. I was like, wait, we're like focused on this hash that changes all these times and these hundreds of IPs. It's like, but they all use a single character executable. Like, why don't we just detect on that for, you know, a number of these things, right? So, yeah, I mean, that was in 2015 and we're seeing it today in 2023. And I'm sure between 2015 this was happening as well so yeah it just it's just crazy that it's still around but maybe because people don't uh alert on that specifically and if you did it'd be weird because an adversary probably wouldn't know why right they would probably like oh they must have a hash or they your their av worked correctly you know like you, you wouldn't actually give anything away with that type of detection until they change the name potentially right yeah that's a very good point as well so yeah, um, I'm going to kick to my largest report and it's got to be one of the top reports I think I've ever read, which I've read a lot of reports. It is a 370 pager, so I'm not going to cover it here. And I really hope anyone listening actually looks at the links that are in the show notes or the comment section of the podcast to go pull this one up. Um, it's one of the best written reports because it has all the technical detail you want to know, well-written, well-matched. And the topic, the name of the report is Modern Asian APT Groups. So it's basically looking at, um, it's written by Kapersky, but it's it's covering five main incidents. One where Russia and Belarus has been attacked, one where Indonesia's uh, the target, one where Pakistan's the target, Malaysia's the target, and Argentina's the target. And they walk through literally all the plays and all the things you would see in data from the command line, how things are being executed, what are some of the common arguments that occur. And then they do a summary of the examined instance. 
They walk through the technical details. And what I also like is they do analysis of the attacker actions based on a unified kill chain. So they compare all the incidents together. Basically, look at some of those commonalities, uh, which is really, really cool. But the other thing I really like, so they, they uh, in the technical details section, they also mention detections. Like, what would you need to monitor from a data perspective to detect all these activities and you know we're talking 370 page report and it's not all you know findings of actions but that means there's a lot of actions that are being covered and they mention four data sources right and two of them overlap so they say look at um the windows 7045 event id from the system log i believe that's the services right um going off memory there and then they, the Windows security law, they look at 4688, which is just process execution. And then they double down on that because they have Sysmon there, which is also covering down the event code one, which is their version of process execution that has additional data. Um, and then they have um, uh, event 13, which is a registry created, a registry event. So basically, when people talk about like, what do I need to have visibility to? I thought this was also a great um, sticking point was, you know, there's five major incidents from well, you know, fully capable groups going attack globally. And their activity is seen with just four different events. And two of those events, remind you, are overlapping. So really three of event IDs that you can collect off a Windows system. Now, granted, there's some specific tuning with Sysmon on what registry keys and things you should monitor. So yes, but that is also kind of like a winning statement like it, it is possible to have the visibility across your entire environment if you have a limited budget and don't know what to collect or whatever right like this is an easy quick win now obviously not focus on authentication here um authentication i feel like doesn't necessarily help you detect uh, bad things a lot of times a lot of times authentication is data used for instant response like well there is access now where do they go what do they do but um that being said i thought that was also great but they mentioned like some of the vulnerabilities that were being used a lot. Like I said, they, they attack a lot of web-facing stuff. So they had a lot of web application vulnerabilities being utilized. They had very few network vulnerabilities where they actually targeted BlueKeep and Eternal Blue, which are really old vulnerabilities. You're talking 2019, 2017, right? So that being said, obviously, they're hitting areas and networks and locations that you're running old things or just not staying up to date. Uh, and then you have, they hit Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities that we've been seeing, you know, in the last couple of years with the proxy.shell, proxy shell stuff, proxy logon. Um, so there were some use of vulnerabilities, but that was just for the access. After that, there was a lot of just running some command-based things and talk about single character usages. Man, they've got their zip files that they're moving payloads in with one.zip. They've got their you know, Microsoft installer files.msi they're using single characters for. They have single character executables. And this is like across multiple instances, multiple targets. It's all over the place in this report. Uh, so obviously it's a good thing to look for. Um, and the other thing uh, I, I liked and you know, made me think, obviously they did a unified attack chain to talk about what are some of the common things they did. But you can see the differences too, based on the target. And if you mentioned that, remember the the title of the um, report: the Modern Asian APT Groups. Obviously, there's more than one APT group. They show five symbols, so my guess is there's actually five groups are looking at across the five incidents. 
But yeah, that's not uncommon either, where even if you have, say, the same country that's doing these attacks globally, they don't always use the same group to target multiple targets. They have like a specialty, right? Like they these this group focuses on ICS stuff and manufacturing and Europe. And so that's what they, you know, whatever, because there's some consistent technologies there. So whatever, so they can be more successful than trying to battle where the software suites are constantly changing. So, you know, I look at it from that perspective too. Like what are some of the nuances in the attack chain? Like one used PowerShell to pull things down and store their their data in a, in a text file with base64 encoded and actually ran that through PowerShell. And the other one used cert util to pull down payloads, right? So they you know different um, mechanisms. No, the same type of activity and all detectable by the way. And that's the other thing that's gonna be tough with this report is I and want to go through this report and tag everything that we have packages for, because obviously we cover a lot of the stuff in this report, but you know, that part's really cool. I always find that fun to say, well, what do we already cover? That's more fun than almost building some things sometimes, but yeah, not to like go on and excite, you know, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are too, because I kind of dug through more of the first part and then, you know, jumped in the middle. I didn't really hit the end very hard, but um, they do have Sigma rules that they provided in here. They have a lot of statistics on the attack companies so you kind of get a feel for what the targets look like. Yeah, I just think this is one of the better, or I don't want to say best because I can't remember every report I've read, but this is you know easily top 10 and top five. So if, yeah, this is something people should really just check out. You just learn so much from this report. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, but I, I do disagree with you for one thing. I think you should just read this verbatim for the next couple hours. <laughs> just eat up some time. <laughs> right. Yeah, like you said, this was very well done. You know I love MITRE. You know I love living off the land binaries. You know I love Sysmon and all these logs horses. And then, but normally what happens is they'll describe the attack and then they'll describe the malware. They'll probably talk about the overview or the conclusion, and then they'll have in some appendix the MITRE attack tactics, then the IOCs and so on. This one, like as it was describing what was going on, not only did it tell you what technique they were using or tactic technique or sub technique, but they also gave you the logs and the commands. Then they also gave you the explanation of the commands. Mm -hmm. And then they told you the intent of the adversary. So it wasn't just like, you know, they threw this command, go research it, which is normally what I need to do. Especially if it's an obscure command that I'm not familiar with, but they just explain it as you go on. And the collection is just, I mean, that cohesion together just gives you so many different places to start your hunting, um, which is absolutely crazy. Like you said, this was a very well-written report. There's so much information on it. I didn't even get through all of it, but I really, really enjoyed it, just the first part. Um, so like you said, I would recommend, highly recommend everyone going to read it if they have the time. Yeah, it's even, I just kicked down to the statistics section and it's not just the statistics on the victims it's more about out of this report what specific apts um make up most of the attack stuff and methodologies and that's kind of cool so like you know apt 41 13 of their this report um, covers down on what they do and 14 percent on mustang panda and whatever you know they have all these different things and then they go into actual um what industries and targets do these groups hit and what are the aliases as well? Like it's just really well done. If you were like, Hey, we're worried about, you know, 
Asian-based adversaries, uh, this should be a report that you reflect on because it it's really, the report's about 2022. So, I mean, it's also relevant as far as timing goes. I mean, obviously, that's why it's it's so well done. It's probably why it's not coming out toward, till towards the end of 2023. But I guarantee a lot of this is relevant still. So No, absolutely. So, yeah, cool. What do you got next? Next up is an article from Mandian titled Sandworm Disrupts Power in Ukraine Using a Novel Attack Against Operational Technology. Once again, this always hits home with you and I both. You could always probably speak on it more because you spent more time there. But it focuses on the Ukraine energy sector. It talks about Sandworm, which is a well-known APT, basically running out of Russia. It also discusses Indestroyer and Destroyer 2, um, briefly, because it talks about how the cyber attacks on the OT environment there, you know, whatever what Black Energy was involved, and Russia was trying to just disrupt and disrupt the energy sector as much as they could. The I guess the difference here is that there was a lot less distractions, I guess, in the IT environment than there were previously. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like the shift from destroying the IT network that was able to gain access to OT, and this one is more sneak through the IT network and gain access to the OT network and start researching that. Well, yeah, so if I remember correctly, they used a lot of disruption in IT to see how much they can disrupt the response activity that would happen when they started attacking the OT. And this one, it looked like it was more, and when their attack was really just get in there and start throwing things. This one seemed to be more calculated as far as they didn't have that direct access where they're throwing things. They are using something that's going to run and have predefined actions from almost like a scripting perspective. So that also is very different. Okay. And it, it looked like a lot more focus was put on the research as well. Mm -hmm. um, so using, they they learned the environment, and I, I believe it was called the MicroSCADA supervisory control system that they targeted, mm -hmm. um, where they landed on an end-of-life MicroSCADA control system and then started running commands that would impact the substations. They were able to access the hypervisor that hosted the SCADA management instance, and then they mounted an ISO image uh, that contains some of the malicious files, uh, which was a bat, a VBS, and a text file. And the text file contained uh, the C2 commands. My biggest takeaway from here was the shift that I mentioned earlier, where they're now spending more time learning the environment, learning the tools, and learning the lay of the land so that they can actually, if they wanted to be more direct with their... Um, with their attacks, instead of just destroying or trying to destroy, they could strategically shut down a substation as they were rolling in. So if they were conducting a kinetic strike, they could shut down substations that in regions that they were targeting, um, which would cause more chaos. And really, if they targeted the whole, like if they wiped the whole and destroyed the whole system, then if they have troops or anything that's in that region that they're trying to, um, trying to attack or trying to damage, then they would be impacted too. So if they were targeting a, a region to say, "Hey, we're going to roll troops into here. We know none of our uh, none of our troops are there. We are safe. We can control. You know, we can go in there." Then they could shut that down versus just hitting the whole 
um, energy sector. It's a it's a concerning step, but I guess we shouldn't be surprised by it. But what was your take? Yeah, so one, um, like we talked about earlier, the single character name files. Like at first, I was thinking like, oh, maybe they got smart and they named their their text document that had all the commands that they pushed to the micro SCADA S one dot text. But then they have n.bats and they have a.iso. So once again, that single character thing is a, a great catch. Now we're looking at Chinese adversaries that are considered APTs. We're looking at some of the advanced Russian adversaries that are APTs. I mean, like, it's literally everywhere. You could but. you could detect how many uh, APT activity just by that. Right. And you know, you know what we're targeting? We're targeting lazy people. Like, we're not going after the sophistication on what capabilities are. It's really just lazy people. But uh, the other thing that was interesting, obviously, you know, doing the end of life thing allowed them to run commands unauthorized uh, through the tool. Um, no issues. But the micro SCADA server, uh, one of the common things that, you know, we have learned to shut down. And we, we turned this service off um, back when people would be getting disks, right? or USBs that might have a malicious file and they'd auto-run. Auto-run was not disabled. So all they had to do was mount the ISO and everything just ran, right? So that was also an interesting uh, find for them as far as the execution process is they knew exactly what they needed to do. So it really was almost like a, hey, we need to execute. So they figured a quick and easy way where they just move something mount something and then it's it, the attack is done versus like we mentioned before they were in there clicking on breakers and opening them you know as fast as they could across multiple substations which isn't an instant capability um it can be disrupted so uh and and i want to say even last time when they when they were in there um, trying to manually open breakers they forgot to lock out one of the operators on one of them so they were like fighting with the mouse back and forth where like breakers trying to open he's like fighting the mouse and finally he realized what was going on and then the attacker kicked off the operator as far as you know locked them out so they couldn't interact with the mouse but you know so yeah it's a it's a definitely you can see the how the attack has matured uh obviously they're more familiar with these environments because they've been in them before and that was the other thing that i wanted to note um they showed the life cycle, the instant uh, targeted attack life cycle. So they have like the initial compromise. They don't know how the initial compromise happened. So they could have maintained persistence from previous attack, right? They could have maintained it for that long. They established the foothold. They knew how that was kind of done with the Neo, their Regiorg web shell, um, and they go together. Uh, but then when they go into that, how they maintain persistence, escalate privilege, internal reconnaissance, and move laterally, there's a lot of unknowns before they completed the mission by dropping everything and then, you know, running the wiper. And I think there might be unknowns because they have previously gathered this information to design this attack. And that's that's the difference, I think, between you look at it ransomware and APTs is... Ransomware, they get in, they have to find everything, so they make a lot of noise very quickly, and then they just need to ransom and get out. APT behavior, you know, you want to get in, learn what you need to learn about your intended target, and you might not have follow-on actions at that time. But with that information, you could de devise an even better attack so that when you land or go back in through whatever access you want or regain access, you're just ready to execute. 
there is no need to do more internal reconnaissance per se, or maybe even escalating of privileges. You might already have them, you know? And I think we might be seeing something like that here uh, based on, because I don't, you know, one, I don't know how much access Mandiant had to the data, but Mandiant is very good and, and comparable as far as discovering this stuff if they have access to the data. And if they're not seeing that or it's unknown, that makes me lean that way. Like maybe they're really leveraging those previous attacks or attacks we're not sure about. So, so yeah, that's uh, it's my little two cents, I guess. As valuable as always. <laughs> so how are you going to, how are you going to send us off? Um, so the other one is, uh, not is not, not 370 pages, but it's, a an article blog or whatever from Huntress. Um, and it's titled bitter pill, third party pharmaceutical vendor linked to pharmacy and health clinic cyber attack. And this one just kind of quick question. Any single character files in this one? Yes. (laughs) So were we five for five? (laughs) Pretty much, except for the first one didn't have technical stuff in it, so it'd really be four. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, right. This one uses s.msi. Um, that's how they transfer the endpoint. That's what was transferred to the endpoint via their screen connect. So this one really calls out um, the use of those third-party admin tools. That's why this one stood stood out to me. Right? Uh, you know, they were able to use screen connect and everything they dropped some any connect instance or i'm sorry any desk instances as well for persistence in these environments and you know there was a fair amount of powershell being used um to download files um and they downloaded their a.msi and then there was i, I said yeah an s.msi so they were two different endpoints they both got a single character msi file different name so, like I said, it just seems to be a common thing that the attacker's comfortable doing. So, yeah, a lot of um, just PowerShell download commands, execution. Um, and then they needed, obviously, since they're using PowerShell, they were trying to um, get around the MSHTA, uh, which is the kind of malicious scripting agent detection kind of thing. It does the analysis on script stuff. So they actually were trying to do task kill to kill uh, MS HTA. And then, yeah, they were using third-party remote access tools. So, you know, not a ton of sophistication when it comes to, you know, what they were, were doing with just some basic PowerShell, you know, downloads. And then some of the, you know, now once they're in the environment and running their remote admin tools, it becomes really easy to use a machine that way. They didn't have to be command line. Uh, gurus or anything like that so um, but those are the things that i wanted to call out really here is just the simplicity of of some of these attacks that apparently impacted some you know big name pharmaceutical and health uh, care areas so and then you know the simple thing again like i said i wasn't looking for single character (laughs) type executable files but just looking through the current news in this week found plenty of it so you know i'm just gonna harp on that one i guess more i don't believe you I think he, or, or maybe you weren't, you just, you just know which articles include that information. So this was interesting. Looking through the commands that were thrown, it was pretty, pretty uh, interesting, I guess, because what they said, one endpoint that was targeted was a server Uh and they had all this PowerShell and connections being made externally. Um, like you said, the dot a, uh, a dot MSI 
uh, coming from an external IP, downloading the file, and then running different things like uh, all these living off the land binaries. Right? That should kind of stick out. I think you've mentioned it in the past of profiling, knowing how your endpoints should act. Uh, and if this was, since this was a server, should should there be a lot of stuff going on like that? Right. Um, yeah. And then I think the I, the most interesting part to me was the registry modification of the W Digest, um, which is the current control set. They enabled it and set the value to one. Now I had to Google this and figure out what it was. I I know that I've seen it before, but I just couldn't remember. And this was you know. This was saving it in plain text, or the password into plain text, which right. kind of blows my mind that that's still uh, a thing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't see a legitimate use for it. Um, It'd be like also... troubleshooting at Microsoft, right? But it should never be <laughs> somehow used in the wild. Right, right. Like it's just a straight up <laughs> feature, not a bug, but. That one, that one threw me off, uh, seeing that being thrown as well. Um, but yeah, like just all those different, so a lot of information or a lot of living off the land binaries being executed on a server that don't get me wrong. There's probably stuff going on that is legitimate. And there's probably a lot of activity downloading a file from PowerShell externally doesn't seem like something that is legitimate. Um, right. but once again, another great technical article from Huntress. They got the, they got the commands, they got the reasons, uh, you name it. And screen connect being, I think I could add that to to my list of um, remote access tools. Yeah, I want you what to share you? that with me because, like, I feel like that is just worth knowing, like, <laughs> maintaining a master list because that's not going away. Because you you got a lot of low one, like I said, you can bypass every endpoint with it, and two, people just. If they are looking for it, it's just forcing people to find other ones, right? And that's just the thing. So, what was the one that was back a couple weeks? The, the old one, D for report. It, it was like net something. Oh man! Yeah, I Google this real quick. My brain. Net support. Yeah, yes. but they said that yeah. one was thirty years old. <laughs> yeah, and you had to like the install wasn't as simple as what they were doing with these to even get it to run. They had to unpackage a lot of files to make it work. But once again, legitimate software. Yeah. The more that we create with those capabilities and those functionalities and those ability or capabilities and just access, the more they're going to continue to abuse them. Right. Well, cool. I think that kind of uh, sums up a lot of the things that uh, we were going to talk about. Um, but before I go, one, I want to uh, thank all those who joined uh, the webinar, Mastering the Hunt, Translating Intelligence to Action that we did with Recorded Future um, on November 8th. If you haven't, you should go back and check out the recorded session. But other than that, uh, I just want to thank everyone for joining uh, today's episode of the Out of the Woods Through Hunting podcast and looking forward to syncing back up next week. So with that, that closes out our top five threat hunting headlines for the week of November 11th, 2023. Happy hunting, everyone. Happy hunting. Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. 
We'll see you next time.